Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Thank you so much for joining Michigan Minds for this special series to discuss women in STEM. Can you please introduce yourself and share a little bit about your role at the University of Michigan? My name is Trayshette Jackson. I'm a professor of mathematics in LSA, and I am also a member of Michigan Medicine's Comprehensive Cancer Center. And I also direct our Marjorie Lee Brown Scholars Bridge to the PhD program uh, within the math department. So in researching what it is that you specialize in and reading a feature in the LSA magazine, I kept coming across this, you know, the term mathematical oncology, and then the the combination of your roles that you just explained. I'm wondering if you can briefly explain the field of mathematical oncology. So mathematical oncology really is just the use of mathematical modeling, computer simulation to study cancer, uh, quite simply put. Actually, it's both an old and a young field. Um, Mathematical approaches have been applied to almost every aspect of tumor growth, from mutation acquisition and tumor genesis to metastasis and treatment response, uh, with early models dating back hundreds of years, probably to the earliest days of the study of, of calculus. And I think it's because cancer is such a dynamic, complex, multi-scale disease that we need mathematical oncologists to help describe these processes um, using mathematical tools and methods. And the real goal is to just improve therapeutics um, and to raise hypotheses that can then be tested by biologists and clinicians. Can you tell me how you conduct this research and how it gets used in the medical setting? For over 20 years, members of of my team have been involved in developing data-driven mathematical models for cancer. And we've always had an eye towards uh, addressing critical challenges associated with targeted molecular therapeutics, including determining which drugs and drug combinations could potentially be the best candidates to move forward into clinical trials. So our models connect sort of molecular events associated with tumor growth to uh, temporal changes in proliferation, migration, survival of multiple cell types that make up the tumor microenvironment. So cancer cells, endothelial cells, immune cells. And then we try to link all of these dynamics to what we see on a more macroscopic level like tumor growth rates, vascular composition and therapeutic outcome. In our work, we, we kind of have to carefully calibrate and validate our models with experimental data. And then once that's done, we can use the models to make predictions about how best to deliver cancer therapies and maybe even facilitate a deeper understanding of why therapies sometimes fail. The real reason we wanted to use this approach is that moving new therapeutic options from bench to bedside requires an enormous investment of time and money. 
And so by using mathematical modeling computation, we can test and predict the outcome of new combinations of drugs over a wide range of different parameter values, maybe representing how different individuals may respond. And this can be an invaluable experimental and clinical resource and eventually could potentially lead to patient-specific treatment optimization, which I think is uh, where, where we'd like to see the field moving. I'm curious what led you to focus on this area of work? Well, that's a really good question, and I'll have to tell you a couple of little stories to fully answer that question. So when I was an undergraduate, I was a pure math major, and I was going down a very um, specific track of you know solving math problems for math's sake. Um, and then I heard a talk in the math department about how the leopard got its spots. And I was fascinated by the fact that mathematics could be used to address questions in developmental biology. So this was a question about how the, how the pattern of stripes or spots in an animal were laid down early in development. And they use math to try to help understand that. I, I'd never heard of such applications before. And from that point on, I was hooked on mathematical biology. I knew I wanted to do something that um, where I applied math to maybe the biological sciences, but I, I really didn't know about cancer research at that point. And that didn't come until I was in graduate school. Um, when researchers from Bristol-Myers Squibb came to our department and gave a talk about some new cancer treatments they were developing. Um, there were several questions that they had about when and how to deliver these drugs best. And I knew that math could be used to help find um, answers to some of their questions. So I began working with this team of researchers as a graduate student, and they sort of really spoiled me and, and showed me that how, how uh, the best possible collaborations would go um, for a mathematician working with oncologists and um, from that point on, you know, that began my career in mathematical oncology, and I, and I basically never looked back. Are there any particular studies and findings that you can highlight to explain the significance of your research, what, what the ultimate goal of the science is? So we recently published a mathematical modeling paper in cancer research, and the goal of this paper was to better predict ways of administering combination therapy involving traditional chemotherapy and a therapy that targets cancer stem cells. Now, cancer stem cells are drivers of tumor initiation, metastasis, and therapeutic evasion in a lot of different uh, solid tumor types and um, a lot of different cancer types, I should say. And when you think about it, um, they are an appealing target conceptually for uh, therapy, given the big role they play in tumor growth, but there aren't that many um, uh, therapies that target cancer st stem cells uh, currently being used. So um, what we did was look at one promising new uh, therapy that targets cancer stem cells. We created and validated a mathematical model to investigate the impact of this therapy on tumor growth. Um, and then we uh, predicted the responses of tumors to stem cell targeted therapies and traditional chemotherapy alone in combination. Once we were able to validate that the model was able to predict these things, we used the model to test different dosing strategies. So how best to uh, arrange the order and timing of the two drugs to get the best therapeutic response. And it turned out that traditional schedules, which involved co-treatment, just giving both drugs at the same time, 
uh, turned out to be antagonistic according to the model. You weren't getting the best possible effects. But the model was able to show that if you gave repeated cycles of pretreatment with uh, a stem cell targeted therapy followed by a week of chemotherapy, um, you could get to synergistic responses and better therapeutic outcomes. So that's one example of the way we use mathematical modeling and the kinds of questions we try to ask and answer. There's obviously so many different really important elements to your work, but what do you find to be some of the most rewarding aspects of your work? So I'd say one of the most rewarding aspects of my work is seeing uh, my mathematical results actually being used to help guide the administration of, of new therapies. That just, I think, is the, the pinnacle of what we're trying to do in the field of mathematical oncology. I also get to work with great students and postdocs, and, and that is definitely rewarding to sort of train the next generation um, of interdisciplinary scientists. As you know, this podcast is a part of a special mini-series that we are conducting about women in STEM as we celebrate International Day of Women and Girls in Science, which seeks to empower women and girls to participate in STEM programs. Are there any experiences in finding camaraderie in your journey, any challenges that you have faced, or any achievements that you're really proud of that you can share with our audience? Sure, there's a couple. In terms of camaraderie, um, I can say that I'm really have, uh, proud to have played a role in the launch of the Association for Women in Mathematics efforts to create research networks for women in the field. So my contributions included organizing the very first WAM, we called it, Conference for Women in Applied Mathematics. And um, it was a structured program that allowed senior women to meet, mentor, and collaborate with the brightest young women in the field. And then the junior women and graduate students were able to develop a network of colleagues um, that would be useful for them throughout their career and encounter new and important research um, areas that they may not have thought about. I also was able to serve on a committee that was charged in catalyzing the launch of even more of these kinds of networks. And now the Association for Women in Mathematics has launched over 20 of these. Um, and it's really great. I'm so proud of these. They've built strong, long lasting connections between women uh, who are working in various fields of mathematics. So what do you feel are some of the best ways to encourage and recruit more women and girls to pursue work in STEM-related fields? What do you think is being done well and what can be done better? Well, you know, I, I honestly think that women and girls need to see more female role models in these disciplines. And um, speaking specifically of my discipline in mathematics, we just need to have more women who are full professors, who are high profile um, at major universities, who show girls who are coming up, uh, who are good at math, that there is a pathway to get them to a career in mathematics. We kind of have to show girls the power of women in STEM careers. We got to highlight all the influential women. We can look throughout history. We can look at those who are working currently today. Um, and then by seeing the success of other women, um, and the impact they are making and that they've made on STEM fields, I think girls will feel more inspired and more motivated and, and um, will, will maybe want to, to think about careers in STEM a little more. 
I also think um, you said what's working well. There are there are some programs that are working really well. Um, on Michigan's campus, we have a FEMS chapter, and that's um, uh, Females Excelling More in Math, uh, Engineering, and Science, if I get the acronym right. And they engage girls with hands-on activities. They present it in a fun way. Um, the environment is supportive, and they just encourage girls to learn and explore their potential in STEM. I think programs like this build curiosity, and I think they increase confidence in girls. Um, and so I think more programs like this would, would be great. I just think we need more of those things. Can you share any words of wisdom with those who are just beginning their journey into STEM programs? I like the quote, I don't know who, who penned it, but um, that says the expert in anything was once a beginner. So I think I like to tell um, up and coming um, STEM interested students to make sure that they believe in their own excellence, right? It's okay to be a beginner, just know that you have it in you. Um, and, I, and I also like to tell them, you know, if they're passionate about something, find that passion and then pursue that passion and pursue it with consistency and rigor and vigor, and you will be a success at it. Well, thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate it. I'm so excited to be able to share this information with our audience. And thank you for taking the time. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.